history of Grom. Episode 3. Bring forth a sharp sword. Before we begin, I've had emails from a few listeners pointing out some inconsistencies in the previous podcasts, as well as questioning the thoroughness of my research and saying that they found my account of events hard to follow and even harder to believe. Well, I have taken your comments on board, and in this episode, I intend to talk slightly slower and louder to make it easier for you to understand what's going on. We ended the last episode with the settlement of Smeldung firmly established on the banks of the Anfractious, and the first named leader of the Grobians appearing in the historical record. As I explained last time, early Grobian culture dictated that people should be given names which reflected their personalities and achievements, but also that they should be named shortly after birth. For this reason, the father of the Grobian people rejoiced in the name of King Pukes All Over Himself. Pukes All Over Himself was, by all accounts, a severe but even-handed ruler, with a knack for resolving disputes among his people. As always with this period, it is likely that the writers of later generations have attributed more to Pukes All Over Himself than he strictly deserves, with various myths, parables and anecdotes finding their way into his biography. It is also possible that certain stories about him have simply been invented wholesale or imported from other cultures. Take, for example, this account of Puklova himself's famous sense of justice, as retold in The Tales of Old Grob by the 19th century folklorist Sir Hugo Printon Bluff. And so as the king sat in judgment that day, there came before him two women locked in a bitter quarrel. Each claimed to be the mother of a child whose parentage was unknown, and each decried the other's claim as false. When the king had heard the arguments of each party, he called for a sharp sword to be brought forth. When the two women saw this, they both cried out in terror, and each of them called for the baby to be given to the other so long as it remained safe. As both women were concerned for the child's welfare, the king still did not know who the real mother was, so he cut the baby in half and distributed the two halves to the two women, who left in tears, their dispute having been resolved. Later on that same day, two vineyard owners came before the king to seek his judgment. The grapes from one man's vines had fallen into the land of the other, and, taking root there, had produced fruit of greater quality than the first vineyard owner had ever been able to coax from them. The wine from these grapes having now been sold for a good price, he sought a share of the profits. Having heard the arguments on each side, the king considered the problem for a moment, before asking the men, Does either of you have a son or daughter? The first vineyard owner replied that yes, he had a son barely a year old, who he hoped would one day inherit his lands. The second vineyard owner replied that a daughter had been born to him but a month past, and that she would be heir to his own fortune. Bring forth these children, ordered the king. Messengers were sent, and it was done. Now bring forth a sharp sword, ordered the king. Within moments, both babies had been cut in half, and the dispute was forgotten. As unlikely as it seems, there are in fact several more stories in the same vein, each of which ends with Pukesel over himself bisecting a baby for no apparent reason. Whether the dispute was over a contract of marriage, a petty theft, or simply a perceived social snub, the king's solution was always the same. To his credit, this approach did eventually result in a marked decrease in legal disputes, with people instead choosing to settle their differences privately and with fewer dead babies. To this day, the Grobian legal system is characterised by a large proportion of -of out-of-court settlements, and, of course, newborn babies are dressed in armoured clothing. At this point in Grobian history, though, there was nothing approaching a codified system of law. 
As we have seen, disputes could be resolved directly by the king, and no doubt certain precedents were established, but there was nothing approaching a robust legal code. The one law that Puxlova himself did go to great lengths to institute, however, was a properly established process for changing your name. Although the old tradition of naming newborns based on their behaviour still remained, it was now possible for people to elect a new name of their own and have it officially recognised, an option most people pursued as soon as they were told about it at the age of three. Then, having spent a few years being called Funny Dog Go Poo, they would usually change it again before entering adulthood. It was through this process that King Puxalova himself became King Magnificent I, in a move which explicitly encouraged his descendants to reuse the name Magnificent. For various reasons, partly because the name Magnificent is a bit embarrassing, and partly to distance themselves from a serial baby murderer, none of them did so, and King Magnificent I was also King Magnificent the Last. What is particularly interesting about this story, though, is that King Magnificent, nay Puxalova himself, felt the need to establish the legality of his name change at all. For a ruler to feel that he was subject to the law, there had to be a higher authority to which he was bound to answer. And indeed, this was the case. Grobian law, as with the codes of law in many other societies of the day, had its roots in religion. The history of Grobian Orthodox heresy, which has been the official state religion of Grob for over 4,000 years, is a subject that I have no doubt we will return to as these podcasts go on. It might be helpful at this point, though, to understand a little about the roots of the belief system and how it related to morality and the law. Grobian Orthodox heresy is unusual among the world's ancient religions in that its invention is well documented. Whereas more recently founded faiths have stories about buried tablets of ancient wisdom or conveniently invisible alien spaceships, the older religions usually have to make do with a vague story about how their god has always been there, and anyone who says they remember when the old gods had always been there instead is a liar and needs to shut up. The invention of Grobian Orthodox heresy, on the other hand, happened sometime around 2200 BC and is recorded in a series of engravings which are now preserved in the Grobian National Museum of Things. Here is an extract of that text, as translated by the 19th century linguist and dancer Sir Hugo Printon Bluff. Lo, there came a time when the people who named themselves the people had neither food nor shelter nor joy amongst them. Disease followed close behind them as they walked the plains, also wolves. All that was good was lost to them, and many died as the winter was born. For twelve and twenty days the hunters returned with nothing, and the people lamented. On the twelve and twenty-first day the hunters once again set forth. Again finding nothing, they despaired, and there was much, if not exactly, gnashing of teeth, then at least swearing under their breath. "'We are without hope,' cried the people. "'We are without salvation, and, most annoyingly, we are without food. Why did our elders not warn us of this? Where was their wise counsel?' As one, they turned upon the elders, and seemed about to unleash their fury. Seeing this, one of the elders stood and raised his hands. "'My children,' said he, "'do not despair.' The people halted, stones clasped in their hands. "'Why not?' they asked. "'Because,' replied the elder, "'because,' he pointed to the sky, "'because see that big shiny face up there? "'I reckon he knows what he's doing.' As one, the people squinted at the sun. Yes, he's the one in charge, said the elder, so if things go wrong, it's kind of down to him. The people considered this. Is he on our side? they asked. Yes, said the elder, but only if you don't do anything terrible, like stoning your elders to death. That might make him angry. 
As this account makes clear, the Grobian religion was, from the very outset, a patriarchal monotheistic belief system with a strong emphasis on not killing old men. This remains the core of Grobian Orthodox heresy to this day, with many prayers and hymns which explicitly discourage the congregation from poisoning grandfathers or pushing elderly relatives down flights of stairs. As it later turned out, though, there was no injunction against cutting a baby in half to settle an argument. At some point in the seven centuries or so between the original sun-worshipping tribespeople and the reign of King Magnificent I, the religious beliefs of the people of the Grobian Velt were refined and adapted in various ways. Relatively early on, they realised that the sun went away at night, which isn't the kind of thing an attentive god should be doing. So they decided that the sun itself was just a big fire in the sky, and god must be a separate thing which was probably invisible. They also noticed that no matter how much they praised their new god, offering sacrifices and singing songs with lyrics so complimentary that they bordered on creepy, god never seemed to respond. An initial theory, that he was just a bit shy, was briefly considered before they concluded that they must have the relationship the wrong way round. Rather than them worshipping God, God must be worshipping them. With this doctrine in place, the heresy from which Grobian Orthodox heresy takes its name, a moral code was constructed on the basis that they didn't want to let down a God who obviously admired them so much. In Grobian Orthodox heresy, there is no divine punishment, no hell, and no concept of sin. There's just the embarrassment of disappointing someone who looks up to you. And, as atheist parents the world over will confirm, this is actually a pretty effective moral code. In the next episode, we will deal with the life and death of King Magnificent I and look at the laws of succession and how they affected Grobian history. Thank you for listening to this episode of The History of Grob. If you enjoyed it, you might want to buy my book, 100 Ways to Write Badly Well. It's a guide to the art of terrible writing. You can get it from nastylittlepress.org or get the ebook from anywhere you normally get ebooks from. <laughs>